You're listening to the Well Women Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's cycle health educator. Together, we're normalizing periods, cracking open real body talk, and femme rising the future. I'm here to remind you that your body is amazing. You can achieve balance, and body confidence all begins with your menstrual cycle. Get ready, beautiful. You're about to learn how to confidently reconnect with your body and discover your unique flow. You're listening to episode 145 of the Well Woman podcast. In this episode, we are talking about a topic I have wanted to cover on the podcast for so long, sleep. Sleep and stress are one of the two biggest impactors of menstrual cycle imbalances and challenges. And I'm so thrilled that I connected with Leah Saunders after finding her at Instagram to invite her for this particular episode. So this is the episode about how sleep impacts your menstrual cycle. Now, our guest, Leah Saunders, is all the way from Canada and she's a naturopathic doctor obsessed with all things sleep. She's the creator of The Sleep Fix, the program that helps women uncover the real, often hormonal, reasons why they're not sleeping so they can fix it. Dr. Leah maintains a private practice with a special interest in helping busy women gain energy, balance their mood, regulate hormones, and sleep deep. Her ultimate mission is to help women sleep deep at night to do what sets their soul on fire during the day. Dr. Leah is on a mission to help women chase their dreams, not exhaustion. Now, in this episode together, we go deep into sleep, literally. We cover what sleep's impact on mental and physical health is, how sleep actually connects with your endocrine system, how many hours of a good night's sleep is considered good, plus what is a good night's sleep, why you're waking up in the middle of the night, how your hormones are connected to sleep, and how your hormones are changing and impacting your sleep, along with how sleep changes over a woman's menstrual cycle lifetime. And we wrap it up with simple steps to help you sleep better. Have you heard? We officially have launched a brand new Well Women Academy. Yep, today's show is sponsored by this new signature membership program, the Well Woman Academy. Would you love to discover your own menstrual cycle, understand ovulation, master menstruation, and live cyclically? Well, your menstrual cycle membership is officially here. The Well Woman Academy is a monthly membership where together we study things like menstrual cycles, cycle tracking, cycle rituals, contraception, the feminine, eating and moving for your cycle, and so much more. It's the number one place Place to discover how to end cycle signs and PMS for good. For less than $2 a day each month, you'll receive access to over 150 live recorded classes and cycle specific learning modules across a wide range of formats like written, audio, video, and home study. Not to mention, every single membership gives back with menstrual cups to menstruators in need, thanks to our commitment with the COVID project. Join me and hundreds of women from all over the world inside our private Facebook community and online learning portal as together we awaken our cycle, reconnect our bodies and guide you to live in cyclical harmony. Learn more and join us at www.wellsome.com forward slash academy. Leah, welcome to the Well Woman podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Gemma. You are very welcome. I am really looking forward to our discussion about sleep and hormones today. Before we hit record, I was just saying that I've been looking for someone to talk about the discussion of sleep on the podcast for a long time. (laughs) So I'm really grateful that I I came across your feed on Instagram. Um, But let's jump into it. Tell us what day of your cycle are you on and how are you checking in today in this moment? Yeah, so I am on day 24 right now. And we, we looked at it before we hit record as well. And that is 
coming up. I always get mixed up with this, but it's the waxing crescent, right? Mm-hmm. Waxing, yes. waning, weaning. <laughs> weaning is waning is going down. Waxing is getting expanding. Bigger. Yep. Yes. See, I know these things. I teach these things. It's just one of those things where I'm like, why can I never get it right? It's like my husband can never remember what day my birthday actually is. <laughs> is that why a lot of men get those t- those things tattooed on them so that they never forget? I think so. Oh, that's so funny. Um, and how are you feeling? How are you checking in today? Yeah, I feel pretty good today. I have to say so it's interesting for us. So it is 10 after 7 p.m. at night for me right now as we're recording. And as it is on the on the content and topic of sleep, I'm obsessed with all things sleep. And usually at this time of the evening, I'm putting my three-year-old to bed. We're doing our bedtime routine. So it's kind of nice to have a switch up in, in routine. And I just need to turn down on my screen brightness here so I don't wreck my melatonin production. <laughs> and we will talk about that. And I can see you've got blue blockers on as well, uh, which is awesome. I also have blue blockers on. Um, for those who don't know what they are, they're just like blue blocking glasses. And I think they're really important. Um, but before I have so many questions about sleep and hormones to ask you, but before we dive in, tell us who is Leah Saunders and how did you get into this world of sleep and hormones? Yeah, thank you. So I am a naturopathic doctor by trade, but otherwise I'm just absolutely obsessed with sleep. So I've always been, or I should say I always was a good sleeper and I recognized the importance that sleep had on my overall health. It was something that I just found so important, of course, for my energy and my mental health as well. And when I became a new mom, so that was about three and a half years ago, of course, you know, it's par for the course of, of new motherhood and that your sleep is going to be disrupted by a new baby. And people always say to you, you know, while you're pregnant, like, Oh, enjoy your sleep now, or just wait, like that's going to be the worst part. And I knew that, but I didn't know that. And so, um, my baby was great. He's, and he's a fantastic kid, but even, you know, just going through and moving through all of the developmental milestones, especially around that three to four month classic sleep regression, my sleep was really suffering. And of course, like I anticipated that it would be challenging, but I never really understood or anticipated how much of an impact it would have on my physical health and my mental health and my ability to show up as my best self. Right. And so at around the fourth month postpartum mark, I was also back to work. So I'm self-employed as a naturopathic doctor. And at that time I was running a busy clinic. I had multiple associates. I was adjusting to life as a new mom, still wanting to have a partnership with my husband. I wanted time for myself. I was trying to balance and understand all of these things, maintain my own practice and all of that as well. And I was really struggling because I wasn't sleeping and my son would start sleeping longer stretches, but then I, I wasn't. So I would struggle to fall asleep or if I had to wake up to feed him, or if I just woke up because I would anticipate that he would be waking up, but he didn't, which is like any parent knows there's nothing worse than wanting to be asleep when your child is, and you can't, you can't sleep. Um, and so I started recognizing like this is having a very real impact on me and I was really struggling. And so one of my colleagues noticed at the time, and she said, you know, 
you okay? Like you don't really seem like yourself. And I had a moment of complete transparency and honesty and vulnerability with her and just said, you know what? I'm not, I'm really not okay. It's really not normal to be doing everything I'm trying to do right now, existing on such little sleep. And I can't remember the last time I had slept for more than like an hour and a half in a row. And she looked at me and I know that she was really wanting to encourage me and to cheer me on. And her response was well-intended. And that was, well, other women do it. So I'm sure you can figure it out. And that was like, come on, you can do it. I know like other women figure it out. You like, you're not the first mom, like all those pieces wrapped into that. But, and I didn't, and I didn't appreciate at the time, but it was like, after the fact, I was like, holy We really expect women to exist in this chronic state of exhaustion in a chronic state of sleep deprivation in a go, 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 always be productive, um, mode all the time. And we don't, we don't give grace and space for that to say like, oh, that sounds really tough. Like, do you need a break? How can I help you? How can I support you? It's okay to take time out. Like, what do you need to take off your plate? All of those things would have been much more helpful (laughs) in the moment. But at the same time, I'm so grateful for that experience because it really helped me see how many women exist in that paradigm. And it really helped me appreciate how many women that I was working with who were also existing in that. And I didn't anticipate it and I didn't see it. And it gave me a whole new angle then to come at my care with patients and the women that I work with. Cause I'm like, okay, we've got to change the narrative. We've got to change the story here because women can't keep doing this. And I'm not going to keep doing it. Like, this is not good enough. It's not working. So that's me. I I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. We are really expected. And we're going to talk more about like the menstrual cycle and hormones and how sleep, you know, can impact the different aspects of the the cycle. But as menstruators and born females, we are really encouraged to live that masculine patriarchy style life of action, do. It sounds funny, but I'm always talking about how the masculine energy is very erect, like a penis. It's very like out there. It's really driven. (laughs) It's really Mm -hmm. forceful sometimes. Um, and you know, we've for a long, for a number of years now, you know, probably like the last hundred years, at least we've really brought into being and becoming like that for equality across genders. But I feel like we've come to a neutrality now where we actually need to accept that we're different and that it's okay to be different between menstruators and non-menstruators. Um, and yeah, sleep is so important. So tell us how, is sleep connected to the endocrine system? I think that's a really great place to start because a lot of people think sleep's all to do with your brain, but how does that connect just with all of your endocrine system, including your cycle? Mm-hmm. So sleep is ultimately the foundation of health, I say, and there's no in there's no system that's independent of the effects of sleep or lack thereof. So it doesn't matter if we're talking hormone system, digestive system, immune system, reproductive system every single system in our body is either going to be compromised or enhanced by how much sleep you're getting. And so for hormones and the endocrine system in particular, like there's such a close connection between our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal and ovarian axis. And so that's basically just a a constant sensory system where you're always looking at your external environment consciously or subconsciously to scan for potential threats. 
And we do this in more obvious ways. And like, if you're driving down the highway and you see flashing lights in your rear view mirror and you're like, oh shit, is that for me? <laughs> Was I speeding? Like you feel that uh, immediate sense of cortisol release when your heart starts racing, your palms get sweaty, you know, you're, you're feeling those nervous butterflies. And so that's a great example of an obvious threat, but then the looming deadlines at work, that difficult conversation you have to have with your partner or coworker or that challenging situation that you're currently facing, or just simply being even unhappy or facing health challenges. Those are all examples of this chronic low grade stress that can really eat away at those hormones like cortisol and adrenaline and can really impact our ability to sleep in such a chicken or the egg scenario, not to be cliche, but it's true. Like if you're feeling anxious or stressed for most people that disrupts their sleep. And then if you're having disrupted, broken sleep, well, that shows up as something that's very frustrating and potentially anxiety provoking. Cause then in the middle of the night, you're lying there thinking like, okay, here I am awake again. How long is it going to take me to fall back to sleep? I need to get so much sleep to get my shit done tomorrow. Like, right. And it (laughs) continues on and on. And then you wake up tired. So you reach for the extra coffee and then you're running on cortisol and adrenaline and you're not feeling your body. And then we're not perceiving there's so many cool studies around how we perceive emotions and social cues differently when we're sleep deprived compared compared to when we're well rested. So if you think about existing in such a chronic state of sleep deprivation, it really does have the potential to compromise our ability to interact and function and sense things from our environment. Like we feel more irritable, right? We're lower on patients when we're feeling tired. So that's why I say it's the foundation of health. And that's why I advocate for everyone to take it so seriously, because we've really, you know, if we probably looked at what you just mentioned and how we've seen an advancement of women's health and women's rights, which I'm all for, I'm consider myself a feminist at heart, but it's come at many costs, right? Because women are also still in many ways expected, not just to have a job and contribute to the household income, but to also pack the kids' lunches and make sure the birthday gifts are purchased and the Christmas gifts and the, the cleaner is scheduled and the activities are mapped out. Like I have a very equal partnership with my husband and and that's something that we consciously work on. And I think if we're not participating in that way and having those conversations, it can become very stressful for a woman. And that can end up looking like her sacrificing her sleep to get it all done in a day. Oh, I love it. And just that final line of to get it all done. You know, there's that movie, like, I don't know how she does it. I think who's that got in it? Is it Reese Witherspoon? Or is it? I don't know. The girl from, it's it's one of the movies and she's got all the kids and she runs, like she's a a high-end corporate woman. And I think the movie's called, I don't know how she does it or how does she do it? Or how does she do it? I don't know, something like that. And you're spot on. I think that what you mentioned earlier about how your colleague in your workspace came up to you and you just had that vulnerable moment of just being like, you know what, I'm actually really struggling and I don't know how I can put all of this together and I need some help. And I think we need to give praise that there are some great partners, including fathers out there who do support new mums in an amazing way. And I feel that more and more that is occurring within heterosexual relationships for for co-parenting. But there are also a lot of menstruators out there who are mums and are kind of expected to do it all um, and do all the extra stuff that now we do that we didn't do 50 years ago. (laughs) 
Um, so yeah, it's a really interesting world that we live in, but it just goes to show how important sleep is. So let's talk about sleep in general. Um, or just before I do, I had a thought before is that the two biggest things that throw off your cycle are sleep and stress. And so I love that we're covering this and that you mentioned about the access between the glands in your brain and your ovary glands, that they are so equally combined and connected. And when there's a, um, a distort meant to the connection process, especially with your nervous system, everything just goes out the window. And this is when women feel like they're fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about sleep. How many hours is it good to have of sleep? And what is considered a good night's sleep? And then let's talk about the hormones and sleep itself. Sure. So what we know in the medical literature is that between seven to nine hours is ideal. And the reason that is important is because if you're getting on average over a long term, less than seven hours of sleep, we see a significant increased risk in almost any kind of medical condition, particularly the things that if we asked women, they're going to say they're most concerned about developing over the course of their lifetime. So for example, cardiovascular disease, breast cancer, and other forms of cancers and cognitive decline. And then we see other things like fertility challenges or infection rates increase, and even an increased risk of motor vehicle accidents and all, all cause mortality or death. So that's less than seven hours of consolidated sleep on a regular basis. So that happens once in a blue moon, not a big deal. It happens to us all, right? Or it's also to be expected, say like when you're a new mom, for example, then when we see above nine hours, that's actually a negative correlation. And that tends to be because people who are sleeping more than nine hours over a 24 hour period are probably chronically ill. So they might have something like congestive heart failure or another condition that's keeping them confined to their bed or even something like severe depression. And so then we see that their overall health is negatively correlated with that amount of sleep. So the magic window is seven to nine. Now, everybody's going to be a little bit different in that window. So there's a couple of metrics you can look at for yourself to say, is my sleep quote air quotes, good. And that can be your time taken to fall asleep or what we call sleep latency. So ideally that's somewhere between five and 20 minutes. You do not have to watch the clock (laughs) to figure this out. You don't have to have a fancy sleep tracker either, but what happens is if you fall asleep absolutely instantly, when your head hits the pillow, that's actually a sign that you're probably overtired and you might not be getting enough sleep for your overall needs. And that typically is if you're falling asleep in less than five minutes, if you've been lying there, either when your head first hits the pillow, or if you wake up again in the night and it's been longer than 15 or 20 minutes by that point, you're usually starting to have the thought like, Oh, here we go again. Why is it taking me so long to fall asleep? it's taking me so long, like, ah, you know, and you start to get frustrated. Typically, if you're falling asleep between five to 20 minutes, you don't even have that thought process. So that's a really important part to, to consider. And then ideally you fall asleep and sleep through the night. You might wake up to turn over, maybe even use the bathroom, but you fall back to sleep easily. So same thing. You're not lying there long enough to have a conscious thought of like, why haven't I fallen back asleep yet? And then you should wake up in the morning feeling rested after your sleep. And so for some people that's after that seven hours, for some people, they need, you know, the eight to nine. 
So those are some really important points. There's kind of those three. So the time taken to fall asleep, how much are you waking up during the night? And do you struggle to fall back asleep? And then how do you feel when you wake up in the morning? Oh, so good. It just makes me think, um, Leah, most people on the podcast know this now, but last year before I found out I was pregnant and then went through, um, was an unplanned pregnancy um, after a breakup and then went through a termination in the lead up to that, probably for the, you know, four or five months in the lead up to that time frame. I was the most anxious I've ever been in my whole life. You know, I was going through a fair bit of personal trauma and I was waking up in the middle of the night so much so that once I woke up in an anxious kind of awaking state and I stood up and I literally knocked myself unconscious and I I walked into the the door in the bedroom and it literally T-boned me right in between the eyes and I fell back on the bed and I was unconscious. I literally knocked myself unconscious. And that period of time was the worst when it came to my sleep. And this year I've been really focused on not going to the toilet in the middle of the night, reducing my water intake before I go to bed so that I can get a full sound sleep instead of it being disturbed. So I'd love to ask the question, what does it mean when you do wake up every night to go to the toilet? Because I get asked this all the time and I'm not the sleep expert. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if I can even hop back a point and, and thank you for, for sharing that story. Cause I think it's important for lots of women to hear how, how those things go and happen. And, and we just need to talk more and share our stories and experiences, but, um, sleep is the ultimate gauge of your nervous system. And so a lot of times we try to escape that, <laughs> And we escape that by numbing ourselves in the evening with like scrolling on social media or watching one more Netflix episode or having that glass of wine. And so we're probably so exhausted. So if you're that person who's like, yeah, I fall asleep instantly, but then I do wake up in the night, you're probably go, go, go all day long. And so exhausted that you fall asleep fine, but then struggle to sleep through. And if we haven't well, there's two parts. So one is like the obvious of what we were talking about. You, you know, you know that you're stressed about something, or maybe you're under a deadline at work. Maybe you had an extra coffee in the afternoon. Maybe you exercise late. Like those reasons that cortisol can be elevated. Those are obvious as often as why we might have trouble sleeping one night, but then there's this deeper layer. And that's what I love to work with women on. And I do this in one-on-one and I do this in my sleep group program. And we really talk about our mindset as it relates to sleep and what our nervous system is trying to bring to the surface. Because if the only time you're undistracted in a day is when your head is on the pillow and you're in bed, I will bet you $1 million or more that your nervous system and your body is just going to opportunize on that time. And it's just going to say like, you aren't paying attention to me. You aren't processing these thoughts. You aren't processing these emotions in a way that's constructive enough right now. So I need you to think about them and I need you to pay attention. And you're going to do that right now. If you're not going to give me space (laughs) in the day. And that might sound crazy, but it's exactly, I think what you described, right? Like you said, there was a lot of personal trauma, a high level of anxiety, and you probably like slept fine, but then notice how disrupted your sleep was when your nervous system is recalibrating. I was on edge, like literally there was a lot of infidelity and uh, I was waking up in the middle of the night with my intuition being like, do this. 
or, you know, this is going on. And so I was so in tune with what was occurring that I was listening. It took me a little while, but I was listening to my intuition, but I was on edge and I was so much on edge in that time frame that I broke out in hives all over my body. Like that is the best physical sign when your skin erupts, they'd be like, Gemma, there is something fucking going on here and you need to pay attention. Yeah. And it was like all over my face and my legs and my back. And, and so that's just a great message that the body's screaming at you. Right. But often I feel that we, we run like, like that energizer bunny so hard and we push so much that our sleep is compromised. And something that I found that really helped me was a week after I had the termination, I was still bleeding and healing from the surgery, but I have practiced yoga for 11 years this year. So I'm like a very consistent yoga practitioner and, you know, I've studied Ayurveda, I've studied Ayurvedic psychology. So I knew a lot of shit that was going on in my life. Just dealing with it is another story. So I enrolled in a meditation um, in-depth in-person course and we sat in silent meditation for two days straight. And I was like, okay, this is the, the calling point to help me embed a more consistent daily meditation practice. And I found that meditating daily in the morning for minimum 30 minutes helped me improve my sleep so much. So even if I woke up and I was still tired or I was a sad at life, because <laughs> that happens too, that, you know, I would still get up. I would just sit next to my bed, not in my bed because you'll fall asleep. And I literally just made myself sit through meditation. And that helped me deal with those thoughts and feelings and emotions that were coming up that you mentioned that so many of us wind down with wine on or wind up with caffeine and coffee on. And so these are such good points. Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I love the line you shared. Sleep is the ultimate gauge of your nervous system. Oh, so true. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about the nervous system and the endocrine system and how, you know, most people here are aware of the endocrine system to do with your menstrual cycle and the reproductive system that it is. But how does that link with the nervous system and how do hormones connect with the menstrual cycle with sleep? Yeah, sure. And I will answer your question about why you wake up at night to pee. Just because people are like, I'm really not stressed, but I still wake up. Okay, let's talk about that first. Um, Yes. And I'll, I'll tie it all into endocrine and nervous system and why we wake up as well, but on the topic of like needing to use the bathroom. So I just a couple, a couple weeks ago, so it's relatively recent on my podcast, there's an episode with a pelvic floor physiotherapist. And we talked a lot about this too. So unless you are over the age of 65, you should not be waking up in the night to go pee. If you are, then look at the obvious. So how close to bed are you consuming fluids? How much are you consuming? What is your caffeination versus hydration in the day? And of course, alcohol intake too. So this is for everybody, right? Not everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Not just exactly. Cause coffee, tea and alcohol are all diuretic. So they're going to encourage you to go to the bathroom and pass urine <laughs> and then they're going to be dehydrating as well. So then if you're picking up on that, you might be drinking more water, say in the later half of the day, if you've had you know, coffee all morning and then you are wound up. So then you have that glass of wine at night and you wake up dehydration is actually a very common reason that women and people wake up at night too. And, and you especially might notice that if you do overindulge in alcohol, <laughs> um, in that you're, you know, you're waking up feeling parched and then you want to have a drink of water and that whole cycle continues. So look at fluid intake as a basic level. And then there's a lot 
to do with pelvic floor health and bladder control that might need attention. So getting that assessed and working with a pelvic floor physiotherapist or practitioner could be helpful. And then it does tie into the nervous system. Cause a lot of times, you know, we might see like overactive bladder or sensitive bladder as I mean, honestly, every time I've treated that in practice, it's really correlated to an anxiety disorder or, or level of anxiety as well. And so when we look at sleep and then our hormones and our nervous system, like you said, the, the two biggest things are going to impact our hormones are going to be stress and sleep. And then what's the biggest reason that our sleep is impacted tends to be because of stress for most people. So we sometimes need to take a step back and say, okay, let's actually look at what I'm doing from the time I wake up, because that's when you're really going to start impacting your ability to sleep at night. It's not just thinking about bed for the five minutes before, (laughs) right? And so when we get up, that's going to impact and and a consistent wake up time is actually very important for our circadian rhythm and that natural rhythm in our body. It's arguably the number one thing you can do to optimize your sleep. And so then across the day, you know, how are you balancing your blood sugar? Meaning, How regularly are you eating? What are those meals composed of? Are you running on caffeine? Is your blood sugar dipping? All of those pieces, because if that's the case, then when our blood sugar dips down, or if we've had coffee without adequate fuel, I love coffee. I won't tell people to give it up, but if we don't have enough protein and healthy fat, as an example, then our blood sugar crashes. And when our blood sugar crashes then cortisol is released in an attempt to help us combat that, which then brings our blood sugar back up, but also elevates our heart rate and our blood pressure and makes us feel like a little bit crazy because it's that hormone that's supposed to help us scan our environment and respond to a potential threat. And so instead of actually getting up and running that off, which is what we're supposed to do when we're running from a lion, tiger, or bear, we are just sitting at our computers, typing faster, (laughs) hopping on another conference call or something like that. So it's not, it's not how we have been. It's not how we're meant to deal with that high level of stress, right? We're literally supposed to be able to, to exercise and, and run it off, burn it off. And so then that's when we have to say, okay, yeah, how much are you moving your body for two parts? So many of us have sedentary lifestyles and jobs, especially with, you know, maybe you're no longer commuting to work. Maybe you're working from home now, whereas before even driving or taking public transit would have, would add more to your step count every day. And so Mm -hmm. now if you're not moving your body enough, then that has a real impact on how much energy and how physically tired you're going to feel at the end of the day. And I certainly notice that like, if I'm not physically active enough, then sometimes I just don't feel ready for bed. And, and the opposite is like, when you have a really physically active day or see this in kids, it's like, Oh, I'm so ready for bed. I'm so excited. Right. And I know I'm going to sleep well. And then it's like the timing of exercise, even right. If we exercise too close to our bedtime, that elevates our cortisol, which is a positive thing in that case. And it also elevates our core body temperature and we need our core body temperature to drop, which is why it sometimes takes us a while or a little while longer to unwind after exercise in the evening. So there's like so many different ways we can weave it in. Oh, I love it. (laughs) I'm just thinking of like, 
exercise and how, how after I go for like a three hour hike, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so ready for bed tonight. Like I just don't want to, and you do, you have such a sound sleep. It's kind of like wearing the kids out. So they sleep well. Totally. Um, totally. And I, I think we forget, you know, I'm yet to be a birth mother, but I, I think we forget that as parents that kids thrive on routine, but then for us, we don't apply the routine. And so we're okay not having some kind of structure or routine in our day that supports our own sleep. And when we realize for kids and babies, sleep is so important. And I'm like, if you only cared for your body as much as you cared for the baby's body, you know, you would have a very harmonious relationship with yourself. And yeah, that's just my two bulbs. Yeah, Um, but it's so true. And I say it all the time. I honestly, I do because it's so obvious in kids, right? It's so obvious if they don't sleep well at night, how their behavior is the next day. When you have a toddler who's transitioning through naps or skips their naps, it's so obvious and we'll blame it. We'll say like, oh, he skipped his nap today. Or like, this is why you need to nap, right? And then they're emotional. Like they can't emotionally regulate and their behavior isn't, isn't good. (laughs) They, they misbehave and they're, they're tired and they're lethargic. And you're like, you are so ready for bed. Like, let me just like throw you there and close the door. <laughs> yeah. But as adults, the same thing happens to us. We just internalize it as anxiety because we've air quotes again, learned how to emotionally regulate. But for a lot of people that actually looks like just internalizing, not actually dealing with And so we internalize it as anxiety and it shows up as difficulty sleeping or moodiness during the day, but we're not recognizing, like you said, the routine needs to be in place. And it's the same thing. Like you would never put your kid in bed with their iPad and then expect them to turn it off and fall asleep instantly. Like, you know, that even as a, even if you're not a parent, like, you know, kids need, like I was saying at the beginning, we bring my little guy upstairs, we do bath we do stories. We have a snack. We brush teeth. We do one more story. He gets in bed. I sing him songs. Like he knows every step and he knows at the end of that. Okay. It's time for me to go to sleep. Now. Time. Yeah. yeah. But it also prepares him from when we're going, you know, and playing at a high energy level, it gives him enough time to unwind. Yep. So they're not going to bed with adrenaline running through their bodies. Yeah. And it's yep. the same with us. Like a lot of people don't give themselves enough of an opportunity to practice some kind of mindfulness. And that doesn't, ha- you know, if you're not into meditation, you don't have to do that. But, you know, people are always like, well, what do you do for your bedtime routine? Like I have something secret. I'm like, most nights you can find me sitting on my couch, having a cup of herbal tea, talking to my husband. And we actually just got a hot tub. So now you can find us in the hot tub. Have you heard? We officially have launched a brand new Well Women Academy. Yep, today's show is sponsored by this new signature membership program, the Well Woman Academy. Would you love to discover your own menstrual cycle, understand ovulation, master menstruation, and live cyclically? Well, your menstrual cycle membership is officially here. The Well Woman Academy is a monthly membership where together we study things like menstrual cycles, cycle tracking, cycle rituals, contraception, the feminine, eating and moving for your cycle, and so much more. It's the number one place Place to discover how to end cycle signs and PMS for good. For less than $2 a day, each month you'll receive access to over 150 live recorded classes and cycle-specific learning modules across a wide range of formats like written, audio, video, and home study. Not to mention, every single membership gives back with menstrual cups to menstruators in need, thanks to our commitment with the COVID project. 
Join me and hundreds of women from all over the world inside our private Facebook community and online learning portal as together we awaken our cycle, reconnect our bodies and guide you to live in cyclical harmony. Learn more and join us at www.wellsome.com forward slash academy. There's no secrets. Like people think that, oh, what's the secret product that you can use or what's the secret routine? But it's really just winding down. Like that's it. And everyone does it in a different way. Um, I find slow yoga very, very helpful because it pulls you out of your head and into your body. And if you're not in your body, you will fall over <laughs> or like, you know, make a little bit of a, a scene on your yoga mat. Um, but I find that's really helpful. I, I can't meditate at night. I, I, I could if I really wanted to, but I get so much more out of meditation first thing in the morning. And that's also one of the Ayurvedic times of the day in your Vata time to actually do that. But yeah, it's different for everybody. And I think it's just important to experiment with what could work for you and see what works the best. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about hormones in regards to the menstrual cycle and how our hormonal changes impact our sleep. This is one of my so, favorite topics. Well, hit, hit us with it because everyone here is for the is for the menstrual cycle stuff and sleep. And so how do we bring the two together? So how do quick little run through everyone knows that we have four phases of the cycle. We have four main cyclical hormones, estrogen, progesterone, follicular, and luteal, uh, luteinizing hormone, FSH, LH, so to speak. How does these changes with the hormones, every you know phase it evolves into a new change or a new dominance? Um, how does it impact our sleep? Mm-hmm. So if we start at the beginning of a cycle when you know, a woman is, is bleeding or a menstruating person is bleeding. Then at that point, if we were to look at a graph, our hormones are at their lowest level, particularly estrogen and progesterone as well. And so that's a really important time to pay attention to your sleep, but I'll bring it back full circle once we get to the end of the cycle. So most people who are experiencing ovulatory cycles will feel their best in that second half of the follicular. So day seven to 14, roughly, which also then overlaps with that ovulatory phase. The reason we feel so good in that phase is because estrogen is building. We actually love estrogen. Estrogen is what gives us our female characteristics. It's what also makes us feel more outgoing, more sexual, more um, lively, more energetic. It actually causes us to spontaneously move more. So we move more in that phase of our cycle, even if you don't know where you're, you are in your cycle and we slapped a, a step tracker on you, you'd walk more under the influence of estrogen and your appetite is actually different as well. And so then we kind of reach that main point in the menstrual cycle of ovulation, which is actually the star of the show, but we think so much about the actual bleed. And then from that point, we'll see a pretty sharp drop in estrogen. And then it climbs up again in that second half of the luteal phase of our cycle as progesterone builds as well. So it's only under that second half when we have lots of progesterone, if we've just ovulated. And so for a lot of women, if we're getting adequate hormone production in that window, say from on an average 28 day cycle from day 14 to 21, we're feeling okay. And then it's once we experience the withdrawal of those hormones that poses a challenge. So to some women, I should say, so somewhere from day 21 until the time that you get your menstrual bleed, 
you can pay attention to your sleep in that window too, because it's when your hormones have gone from their highest point and are then declining. The actual level of your hormones don't matter. So we can't test five women with PMS and five women without PMS and objectively put all of their 10 lab results in front of a doctor or practitioner and say, pick out which ones have PMS. There's no, there's no standardized way to do that. There's no specific hormonal pattern that contributes to that. So that's really important to know, but what's important to recognize is it's that withdrawal of the hormones that we can then feel symptomatic from. And so when we see a decrease in estrogen and progesterone that impacts our sleep in a couple of different ways. And you might be thinking like, well, I'm, I'm too young for perimenopause, but <laughs> it can start showing up in these little signals at different parts of our cycle. So for example, I often will notice like I feel much warmer in that couple of days right before my cycle or even during menstruation. And it's because estrogen plays a really important role in body temperature regulation. So on a bigger level, we see this to an extreme point in menopause when we see a sharp decrease in estrogen and then women are having these obvious hot flashes or night sweats. For me, I know that I just feel warmer and I might just have like, yeah, that increased sensation of warmth, not really ending up in a full sweat. And we know and see that women can sometimes produce less melatonin in that phase of their cycle and the withdrawal of those hormones can then sometimes also contribute to more anxiety, which we've talked about how that impacts sleep. So it's not to say then like, oh, well, you're just at the mercy of your hormones, but to start tracking it, to see if that is the case. Cause what I so often see in clinical practice is women come in and say like every now and then for two or three nights, I just can't sleep. And I have no idea why. And I say, it's probably when you're premenstrual or menstrual. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I'm like, okay, let's track it. Let's see how it goes. And they come back. It's like, it's when I'm premenstrual. I'm like, I told you. <laughs> so then we can build in specific strategies at that time. And that might look like being extra conscious of the fact that you are premenstrual. So that afternoon coffee is a no-no because you're so much more sensitive to caffeine at that time then it might mean prescribing melatonin. It might even mean prescribing progesterone or estrogen at that time of their cycle too. So that's a really important point to look at for women of any age who are still menstruating. And I, do, what I don't want women to do is wait until it gets so bad. And they're like in the throes of perimenopause and menopause, because we know that women anticipate sleep disturbances with menopause. And so do doctors. And so that combination of just kind of knowing or thinking or being like, oh yeah, that's just what happens kind of thing will often decrease a woman's likelihood that she actually seeks care for she it. She accepts it as normal. As normal. Instead of common. Yeah. Yeah. And as like, oh, you know, or your mom, or your oh honey, that's just, that's just what happens. Right. And so it's the same thing with period pain. Exactly. It's exactly the same people, are like, but everyone gets period pain. So it's just normal. It's actually, it's just common. It's not supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so if we can then look at these phases of, of a menstrual cycle and understand what's happening in each one, then it can help us build a targeted treatment plan for what you need or simply anticipating. Like what I find so fascinating is that women who track their menstrual cycle, experienced less PMS. There's medical studies on this simply by tracking. You yep. don't have to change anything. 
And then if we, so then if you're in more empowered and knowledgeable about where you are in your cycle and can recognize like, okay, Hey, I'm premenstrual. My sleep might be a little bit more challenged over the next couple of nights. All of a sudden it takes that dial of intensity down instead of it being like, why is this happening? I'm so broken. I slept fine last week. Right. We can go into that or we can just be like, oh, it's just happening. And it's going to pass again in a couple of days. This is such a great highlighting, you know, moment to reflect on the fact that menstruators and non-menstruators, females and males are so different. You know, males don't get this. So, you know, as a, as a female and a menstruator, if you're like, look, my sleep is like really bad this week. Like, can we not have the TV on late at night in the household? And can we, you know, turn the lights down and dim them a little bit? And your partner, who might be a male, if you're heterosexual, is like, what do you mean? Why do we have to turn the lights down? Everything's fine. And you're like, you don't understand. I'm not sleeping good this week. And, you know, it just shows that we are very cyclical in our nature. And I think the more we embrace that, the better. And I love that you brought up the point about cycle tracking, reducing PMS. And I believe that's because it brings awareness to your body and you're more in tune. So you are more or you're less likely to not do the things that trigger you to create the PMS. So I love that. Um, Leah, I'd love to hear about how our sleep changes because you mentioned a little bit about menopause throughout our menstrual cycle lifetime. So we've got so many different cycle transitions from menarche, our first period, right through to post-menopause. How does our sleep naturally change? Like I know as we get older, our melatonin production reduces, but how does that change? Like give us a little walkthrough on that. I found this beautiful graph and I was putting together a presentation on this topic. And I always wish that people listening to podcast episodes, whenever I bring it up, could, could see it. <laughs> and it's, if you can picture the, that image of like the, the monkey and the gr- turning into the ape and the gorilla, and then like ev- uh, going through evolution. The evolution. Become, yeah. It's like that. So it starts with like this little girl and then she grows up and gets pregnant and then is an older woman. But underneath all of those life stages, it illustrates hormonal patterns and then it breaks down different aspects of sleep. So things like how likely are you to wake up after you've fallen asleep? What's the total sleep time? What's the quantity of REM that we're getting? What's the likelihood that you have or or need naps? So when I found this, I was like, ah, like, (laughs) see, it's here. It's real. It's I'm not just picking all this stuff up. But to put it more in in a contextualized framework, up to 60% of women will experience sleep disturbances as they get older. And that incidence peaks in the two years, plus or minus menopause, menopause being one full year that you haven't menstruated, not secondary to other causes. So if you have the IUD and you haven't menstruated in a year, that doesn't count. You have to have, make sure it's like not because of any other reason natural reasons as to why you haven't menstruated exactly ovulated yeah Yeah. or I should highlight you can go into overnight menopause if you have surgical or drug-induced menopause so if you've had a surgery to remove your ovaries or something like that so from that standpoint what's happened in all of those cases is that our estrogen has sharply dropped and we're no longer producing progesterone because we're no longer ovulating 
And so the decline in both of those hormones and even the shift in those hormones, say during pregnancy has an impact on our sleep. It has an impact on our sleep stages, on the amount of sleep that we get on things. Like I mentioned, like our REM sleep, which is that rapid eye movement when we dream. And so the takeaway is that as we get older, we tend to see a pattern of where women will experience more sleep disruption. So they're twice as likely to experience a sleep disturbance compared to men. And that can show up as more commonly difficulty. And I, in my practice, I see it more commonly as women fall asleep. Okay. But struggle with waking up at night. Interestingly in the medical literature, there seems to be more on like struggling time to fall asleep or sleep latency. And it's so intertwined with different aspects of those hormones. So like I mentioned before, when estrogen drops, we'll see a a change in our core body temperature regulation, and that can show up as a higher core body temperature across the board. But then the the obvious that those menopausal hot flashes are night sweats, which can then disturb a woman's sleep. And if we treat the vasomotor symptoms and the hot flashes and the night sweats, then she starts sleeping better. So it's all intertwined in that way of really understanding like, okay, where are you at? And if we look at perimenopause, which is that stage that can last really anywhere from like three to 10 years. So you're transitioning through having regular cycles to becoming postmenopausal because you're maybe ovulating at, at an irregular basis, like three times a year as opposed to 12 or 13. Yeah. Yeah. Your hormones can be all over the place. You can really feel like you're riding a roller coaster and we'll see again, so many interrelated factors of like the average age of perimenopause is 45. What's also happening at a woman's life at that time. Like her kids are probably getting older and more independent. Her parents might be aging and needing care or assistance. She's also probably reaching a peak in her career. And all of those things can culminate for such a stressful potentially stressful experience. Right. And so we see women who are more well-adjusted, who have better coping skills and mechanisms, who have access to community and social support, who are higher educated, who are empowered in their healthcare journey, who feel like they're a part of that whole process. They have less physical symptoms of perimenopause and menopause compared to women who really aren't resilient is, is the, the theme of that paper I'm referencing. So I find all these things fascinating because it's like, again, if we teach women and help women access those really important foundational pieces, it's what you're doing during the day that's impacting your ability to sleep at night, right? It's how and who you're spending your time with. Totally. Really, it is. I Back to the the comment that you made earlier around how cycle tracking can really help with PMS. The women that I've supported in their perimenopausal to menopausal phase, it's a very, I love supporting women at this time because it's like completely blowing out all the stigmas about menopause is horrible. And, but the correlation is that everyone who's tracked their cycle and has known how to do this with the natural fertility based method, it gives them so much more support at knowing when they're going to bleed, when they are ovulating, and it gives them a little bit of control, not that we want to control it, but a little bit of control and understanding as opposed to like, I'm in the dark and I don't know when I'm going to bleed next and what is my body? And it helps so much not like bring you into connection with what's going on in your body as opposed to feeling scattered and lost. 
Um, so I love that. It's so connected, isn't it? Everything around mm-hmm. the endocrine system. This is why I love the topic of sleep so much. Um, now we're, we're pretty much nearly out of time, but I'd love to ask you a couple of really quick little questions. Sure. Is two, two final questions for the podcast is some simple steps to help better sleep or sleep better. What would you recommend? Like top three, top five, little simple sure. steps that people can take. Number one is pick a consistent wake up time. And so that helps keep our body clock on track. And we didn't dive into all things sleep pressure. I feel like we could do a whole series on sleep and hormones, but we have this thing in our, (laughs) let's do it. We have this chemical in our body that initiates sleep pressure. So that's the feeling when your eyelids are heavy and your head is heavy and you really just want to close everything down and fall asleep. And so if we have had a bad night's sleep and sleep in to make up for that, or say even sleep in on the weekends because we're socializing, it's, it is equivalent to jet lagging our body. And even that one to two hours can make such a big difference, especially if you're one of these listeners who has difficulty falling asleep on Sunday night on a notorious basis. Well, I think about, you know, are you sleeping in on Sunday morning? Are you letting that late morning afternoon coffee creep in? Cause it's just what feels good on the weekends. And then are you thinking about and worrying about (laughs) what's ahead on your week? Right. So basically come back to pick a consistent wake up time to start. I told you, I don't ask people to give up coffee because I love coffee, but it does take the average person about 12 hours to fully metabolize caffeine. So I use that as a recommendation as well to say, okay, let's pick that consistent wake up time. That sleep pressure will make, will reach a maximal point about 14 to 16 hours later. So let's say you're waking up at 6 AM. That means your ideal bedtime is actually going to be between eight and 10 PM. I know lots of you are going to think like 8 PM is way too early. And then we think backwards and say, okay, well, if you're going to be aiming to be in bed by 10, let's keep caffeine to no later than 10 AM to make sure that that's not an obstacle in your way. Great advice. Yeah. And then tip number three would be unplug for at least one to two hours before bed. And if the thought of that brings sheer panic into your mind and you're like, but what would I do? Then that's just a whole thing you have to go and explore. Oh, I love it. Thank you. These are great tips. I love this. I'm definitely, my goal for bedtime is like 8 39 o'clock. Um, and I'm consistently working on improving my unplugged time and time frame. Um, and definitely when my partner and I are together, he's away at the moment for a few weeks. Um, we, when we're together at home, it's much easier to unplug. Whereas when you're on your own, it's easy to get distracted. So it's definitely something I'm individually working on. Now, second last question for the podcast, and I've got a personal question to ask you is what would you love women to know about sleep? If you could sum it all up and they were walking away with one easy dot point, what's the number one thing you'd love for women to know about sleep? Sleep is the ultimate form of self-care. And I know I love this. Sleep is the foundation of your health and the ultimate gauge of your nervous system, but it truly is. So if you are able to align your day in such a way that it works for you and you feel so excited about everything that's happening and you feel well-supported and you feel socially connected, when you feel like you're living your purpose, sleep comes easy. Yeah. 
And if you can shut it down at the end of the day, and if you can have the, the self trust and the boundaries and, and that honoring of what your body needs most to say, like nothing else matters, but what I need right now. And in this moment, it's to unwind, unplug and just disconnect and go to bed and go to sleep. Then I think you're winning. Amazing. I love it. Thank you. How can all of our listeners find you and learn more about what you offer and share around sleep? Mm-hmm. So I have my own podcast called the word on the sleep. So you can check that out on your I favorite podcast platform. Yeah. I'll have to have you on as well. And uh, an episode drops every Tuesday and I talk all things, hormones, sleep, and mindset. So chances are if you're wondering if there's something connected about sleep or your particular concern, if I haven't already covered it in an episode, there will be one coming up for sure. So go check that out and come hang out with me on Instagram. So I'm at Dr. Leah Saunders and D, which is a bit long-winded. So check the show notes. I'm sure you'll link everybody yep. up. I will, I will link everyone up to that. Yeah. And that's where I share sleep tips and funny sleep memes and remind you to go to bed on time and also share events and uh, programs and things like that, where you can, you can come hang out and work with me. And learn all about sleep, <laughs> which is like, as we've already discovered, sleep and stress biggest topics to learn about in your health. So I've absolutely loved this, Leah. Thank you so much. I have a final question. I ask every single guest this, switching gears a little bit from sleep, is I want you to think back to your younger menstruating self when you got your first period. What are three things you wish you had have known then that you now know today? Oh, that's a fantastic question. Whilst you're thinking, I was recently interviewed on someone else's podcast um, and I'd not, never heard of their podcast before. They hadn't been a guest on mine, so it was kind of brand new. And they asked me this at the end of the at the end of the podcast. I was like, "That's my question." I was like, "Shit, how do I answer that?" <laughs> I know so, yeah. it's so real. I think. Um, oh, if I knew, I'm thinking like I was really terrified of the diva cup, like the menstrual cup, <laughs> and so. I think I would, yeah, I think I would like to know that it's actually amazing. And I think I would also have liked to have known about the cycles and like, you know, right. You're taught all the four phases and whatever, but not from that energetic side of mood and energy and intuition. And that's just something even myself that I've, I've been exploring more even in the past just two years. So I know that's not three, but I think those are, those are my top. (laughs) They're your top two that make up three. No, they're perfect. I wish I knew so many things about my period when I started menstruating and now we can share all of those with the future menstruators. So thank you, Leah, so much for being on the show. I can't wait for this podcast to come out so that everyone can have a listen to it. Um, Thank you so so much much for tuning in to every episode of the Well Women podcast. I trust you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. If you got a lot out of it too, please subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast app. This means together we can inspire, connect, and educate even more women. Now, is there a bestie, a sister, or a friend who you know may be frustrated and confused with their health? Are they ready to discover new aspects of themselves too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your social media, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to their ears. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our bodies. And be sure to tag me in it too. Hashtag WellWomenPodcast. 
for everything we mentioned in today's episode. You can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle. Bye.